Chapter twenty two of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Song Before Sunrise. It was towards daybreak, but still dark as pitch, when I woke in my little cupboard room under the thatch and at once threw off all the bedclothes it had turned stifling hot while i slept i had set the window open as far as it would go and overnight the room had been perfectly sweet and cool but now it was hot and close as an oven and all round the little house i could hear the rain pouring down a steady thudding note on the thatch overhead and below a sound as of countless rills and freshets babbling joyously together as they coursed along the street i got out of bed and kneeling down by the little square hole of a window crowded head and shoulders through the air outside was just like a draught of hot spiced wine the warm rain seemed to have liberated a thousand odours from the parched earth in the dense shrubbery of the churchyard opposite i could make out a dim crepitation and stir of life as though every twig and branch was stretching itself gladly and expanding its cold cramped fibres in the new warmth and wet towards the east there was a grey patch coming in the darkness and now in the thicket of yew and laurel a thrush began to pipe such a pipe as i had not heard for many a long day it was just like tears of molten silver dropping through the darkness tears born of joy for the thrush's song is never sad what makes the first bird sing in the dawn I have often wondered you can understand the earliest pearl-grey light kindling a common gladness through the woods this happens every morning in the year when there is a touch of south in the breeze and when summer is at her zenith the woodlarks sing all night through and then it is only a case of the lightest sleeper first awakened but in season or out of season there is always one bird and this ever a thrush that feels the day coming before its fellows my thrush in the churchyard sang alone as yet it was so dark that i could see nothing beyond the dripping eaves of the thatch but a silhouette of tree-tops black against the livid eastern sky the rain soused down harder than ever straight vertical rods of water that reaching the hard road broke into a fine white mist just discernible in the gloom below but neither storm nor darkness made any odds to the singer he piped on with a reckless energy as though he believed the coming of the day depended entirely on the power of his magic flute it was a robin that first heard this glad reveille there came two or three half-hearted apologetic trills from the depths of the nearest bush and then 
apparently he tucked his head under his other wing and slumbered again for i heard no more of him but now the grey light was mounting apace nothing in feathers could sleep surely in the fair way of that torrent of music one by one other thrushes joined in chaffinches began to clink in the thicket the note of a bullfinch like a quick short breath over the top of a key went about from bush to bush i could hear the starlings clucking and whistling on the roof ridge of the church and close to my ear the sparrows were creeping like mice out of their holes in the thatch and already quarrelling noisily at length still leaning through the tiny window i guessed by the broadening light that the sun was up but at best it was only a bolder twilight for the sky was great with cloud and the rain pelted down with a grimmer determination than ever i now heard the old cottager moving in the room below me and i hastened to dress i found him occupied in exactly the same way as i had discovered him the night before sitting on the three-legged stool and toasting bacon with the parrot clambering about on his shoulder the old man turned me a triumphant face as i came in look at that now said he pointing to the streaming window glass what did i tell ye as fine a rain as ever come out o heaven his enthusiasm easily transcended my own the last thing i had done before leaving winchester had been to send my waterproofs on by post judging them to be only a useless encumbrance in the sunshine that seemed by then invincible at the time i had plumed myself on my foresight as much as i now regretted it but repining would not mend the matter it looked as though i had a long wet day to face and i must contrive against it as best i could we sat down to the meal and the three of us the old man the parrot and i held a council of war together i must go on said i at last though i do not want to get wet is there no covered wagon or cart going my way this morning the old man slapped his thigh ay there be bilet that there be he cried only just remembering it bilet the carrier as comes through on's road to petersfield every tuesday yare in luck tis the very day no sooner had he said it than we heard a steady scrunching of wheels in the street and my host darted out to interview the carrier while he was gone and i was getting my traps together the parrot who throughout the meal had been merely whistling or indulging in irrelevant seafaring profanity now found his voice to a new strain storm and shine joe storm and shine storm and shine i looked at the leaden sky and the unremitting deluge 
and felt this to be an exasperating foul indeed shine i thought to myself disconsolately it will never shine again but his master who then returned had no sooner heard the new cry than he was exclaiming again at my luck as all is right said he twill clear within the hour sure as big taters come from little uns i consulted bylet on this point when presently we were journeying on together and discovered in him a great curiosity to wit an outdoor man who honestly confessed himself ignorant on the subject of weather bylet sat on the front board and talked back over his shoulder to me while i sat under the wagon tilt behind snugly out of reach of the rain the old grey horse his ears back and his head lowered to the deluge splashed on before us at a steady four miles an hour parrots quoth bylet indignantly what call ha they foreign animals a comin here and layin down the law o things when our own old rooks and crows knows naught about it and they bred and born in the place ye never can tell the rights o it from one hour to the next in this country what's afore your eyes that ye knows and no more tis rainin at this very minute put out your hand and ye feels it now look away yonder what might ye make o that i stared along his pointing whip-handle there was an undeniable patch of blue coming in the grey it looked as though the parrot were right after all and with much diffidence i suggested this to bylet parrot or no parrot he maintained stoutly ye never can tell tis even heads or tails all the time if it don't rain or shine twill gloam and more no livin man let alone green and yaller furrin beast can say however in a little while the rattle of the rain on the wagon tilt ceased a wisp of watery sunshine came racing over the meadows towards us revealing the fact that there had been no rain at all but just a mighty downfall of diamonds which now rimmed and spangled everything with their changing iridescent light thus heartened i began to take an interest in the world once more you are going to petersfield i asked the carrier er that's almost due south isn't it ah what is this place we are going down into now selborne what i cried jumping up in the cart so tis maybe ye never heerd on it tis but a little small place i hastily got out my map there was no doubt about it i was back in selborne the selborne of gilbert white after an absence of twenty years i parted company with bylet then and let him go on ahead when the grating of his wagon-wheels had died away at the bottom of the hill i set about making my own breath-baited entry into the place alone 
i think i shall never go to selborne again as long as i live indeed it is no longer possible to go there except by one road that of the wise calm imperishable book all other ways are closed the very village itself obliterated by the glacier-like march of money evil days of prosperity have fallen upon the place it is indescribably swept and garnished the old rough hollow lanes have disappeared and beautifully engineered thoroughfares set to lure the sharabangs rich folk have settled on selborne thick as flies there are shops that would not disgrace a back street in balham with my pack and miry boots and well-worn clothes i felt like a suspicious character as much out of place as a pickpocket in rotten row i pushed on between the immaculate show cottages of the village street past white's old parsonage now apparently somebody's country house and out on the sunny plestor the ancient playing place of selborne another big shop stared at me here from a neighbouring corner but otherwise to my great delight the place was unchanged there was the old tree in its centre with the seat round it just such another tree and seat as must have stood there in white's day between the cobblestones the mayweed raised its well-remembered feathery fronds and by the churchyard wall roses still bloomed though it was mid-november just the same loose pink roses gently swaying on curving wands of green that i had sentimentalized over so many years ago i raised the latch of the churchyard gate and passed in that is a hard word i have just written but i suppose a true one looking back on it now through the vista of twenty sane and sobering years the pilgrimage i then made to the shrine of gilbert white stands out as nothing less than an orgy of sentimentalism that it was so sincerely and unconsciously that my every thought and act at the time was a pure unforced affair of the heart and no designed conceit only aggravates the case no writer nor draughtsman i think comes to the fullness of his powers whatever they may be quite by the same devious paths the same tilting at windmills the exploiting of the same blind alleys yet all have to look back on much the same reiterated fellow de say the piling by the way of those dead selves that lead or so often do not lead to higher things on that never-to-be-forgotten day when i first came to selborne churchyard to look for the grave of gilbert white i went straight to the most gorgeous monument i could see believing in those callow times that the greatest dead always lay in the fairest tombs but to-day i knew better where to seek him in the quietest leafiest corner 
almost the humblest among the crowding graves i found and stood by the stone again noting how the ivy still wreathed about it and the moss and lichens shrouded it in golden green g w twenty six june seventeen ninety three there was nothing else upon the stone and even these simple letters were hardly to be deciphered for the splaying lichens i looked at it a while silently then turned away and as i turned the sunlight paled and was gone the wind dirged faintly in the old grey church tower over the hanging woods a rain-cloud dragged its grisly curtain and drove me helter-skelter to the haven of the inn here while the storm went by i sat over a pipe and a mug of hampshire brew conning the visitors books the new gilt-lettered one and the old dog-eared books whose entries go back thirty years or more all manner of men have made this pilgrimage to selborne i found huxley's name here in eighty nine and with it that of lord napier the signatures of other men almost as distinguished cropped up here and there in the time-stained page and they are still coming daily and will come i suppose while love of the great truths of nature interpreted by great art still forms part of the mind equipment of the world's great men the rain kept up its tattoo on the window glass and for want of other occupation i went on turning the well-thumbed leaves the books were full of names and the commentaries of people from all ends and beginnings of the earth it was only to be expected that selborne would prove for gushing enthusiasts a lodestar of nearly equal magnitude with stratford-on-avon and here they were hundreds of them all self-written down after the name of their kind opening the book at random this thing first caught my eye a cold and frosty morning all nature robed in white shade of gilbert forgive the unpremeditated pun what manner of man could have written it i wondered and passed idly on my next halt was at a couplet in blank verse original i should judge and i said if there's peace in this world to be found a heart that is humble might hope for it here only some wag had erased all the aspirates in the second line and somewhat marred the effect on every page almost ignorance had set down some such nauseating outburst in praise of either the man the book or the place let these stand for example white's history of selborne would do for the diary of adam in eden selborne is the earthly paradise of beauty one forgets all the sin and sorrow of the world in this divinely lovely place and again 
what a boon to the jaded human toiler such a man of genius such an immortal book and such a ravishingly beautiful spot of earth but the mass of trite twaddle was not without its leavening of humour here and there one traveller arriving on a blusterous day and desiring to record some incident evidently witnessed on the road writes or quotes as follows the devil he sent a great high wind which blew her skirts sky-high but the good lord sent a cloud of dust which lodged in the bad man's eye some busybody also had added to the usual adulatory passage about selborne a condensed biography of gilbert white in which he stated that white was vicar of the place under this in another hand was written this writer is mistaken gilbert white was never vicar of selborne it was his father who held this post in yet another handwriting and under another date we read you are both mistaken the white who figures on the parish registers as sometime vicar of selborne was really the grandfather of the immortal gilbert this was evidently too much for the patience and good sense of another traveller who came later for a fourth note is scribbled under the other three you are all wrong it was his grandmother the storm passed as swiftly as it came now the sunshine filled the little room with its sudden gladness and revealed to me that i was sitting in a fog of stale dust motes when a couple of strides would bring me out into pure clean air i took my way down the sloppy glittering street looking about me at the beech-clad hills that hem in the place the rich meadows the fine view eastward over Woolmer forest murky blue and mist laden now in the showery times the country round selborne is undoubtedly pretty and on that changing glamorous morning it must have looked well-nigh at its best but even when viewed under all favour and advantage it is impossible to concede to selborne the supremacy claimed for it by those unblushing and unbalanced scribes if there had never been a gilbert white i doubt if a single one of these laudatory gentry in making a tour of this part of hampshire would have stopped a day in the place or singled it out as anything above its fellows and therein if we come to consider it lies the highest word of praise that can be bestowed on selborne's immortal chronicler the very fact that selborne though pretty is not especially beautiful shows us the man in his true light white's genius and not its own peculiar merit has made all men proclaim selborne as the fairest of earthly edens which assuredly it is not 
for providence seldom wastes her richest human material on superlatives he of the one talent may be sent to the mountain tops but the million faceted soul is kept to labour in the universe of common every day it was the great privilege of gilbert white to live in the midst of normality he wrote not of an unmatched paradise but of a stretch of country that was just a type of rural england no more and no less that he found in it beauty and truth illimitable is matter in praise not of selborne but of the great beauty and truth-giver whose will it is that these good things should be set in humble ways we should still have had the natural history and the yet finer calendar if instead of in selborne gilbert white had been destined to live and work on peckham rye End of chapter 22